Hello, hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of Curator's Choice. I'm your host, Ayla Anderson. And today we're going to be doing, this is kind of a bonus episode. So for the month of September and the month of October, I'm going to be throwing out bonus episodes that kind of have some additional content to them. And the whole purpose of this is to kind of showcase the the sort of episodes that are going to be available on the Patreon come November. So I'm going to continue doing the regular podcasting on the first and third Tuesday of the month. Those will be my regular episodes. But then I'm going to be throwing out some, some of these fun bonus ones. And I've had a lot of fun creating them. They're a little bit different format, but they're all basically history and things to do with history, usually museums, just kind of a a little bit of extra. And for the little bit of extra today, we're going to be back at the National Museum of the Marine Corps. And I did two episodes on this museum, um, episode 18 and 19. And in speaking with those curators, they were like, Hey, we have this really cool guy. I think it would be fun to add to your podcast. His name's Christopher Battles. He's the artist in residence. And so I contacted him. I had no idea what an artist in residence was and what art had to do with the Marine Corps. Come to find out a lot. So he is basically in charge of creating this art program where you have artists going to active war zones and recreating the the everyday, the extreme, basically like life in service. And he, he creates sculptures and paintings and sketches. And that's, that's what he does is he's creating art in the military and kind of trying to showcase it to regular civilians. And it's really cool. He talks all about the process and some of the experiences that he's had, some of his favorite pieces. So if you're wanting to see pictures of all of this, of course, you can go to www.curatorschoicepodcast.com. I'm going to be posting stuff on Facebook and Instagram as per usual. And I hope that you enjoy this extra episode. And when we recorded it, we were recording in the museum in the gallery. So you might hear a few things like there was a little child who was just so stoked to be there and was talking up a storm. And so you might hear a little bit of background noise, but it's just to add to the ambiance of being at the museum. So I hope you enjoy. Um, so I'll just, um, Christopher Battles, which is perfect for your chosen profession, um, that was preordained. You had no real choice in what you were going to be doing. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because it is, in a sense, a calling. I've always felt like that is a calling. And I've always looked at my career, especially in the military, especially the military art world, as a calling, you know, in a sense, destiny. It's very interesting because the name Battles may or may not be a good name for a civilian artist, right? Because one of the things that I we sort of see as a mission uh, as combat artists uh, and myself as artists in residence is to bridge, bridge gaps that might be there in the culture between perhaps the art world and the military or the academic world and the military. Uh, because post-Vietnam in our culture, there's, there sort of was this growing gap between the academic world and the artistic world and the military world. And that they saw each other as enemies in a way post Vietnam. And so we've been creating this artwork that isn't political and isn't 
propaganda. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. We're reportage. We're we're painting and drawing what we see. Um, a combat artist can only paint from what they experience. Um, they can be illustrators, combat illustrators. We call that, where they can gather information, do research like a historian, and, and make a painting. But that's a different animal. It's related. But when you're doing what we call combat art or war art, you are on scene and you're like an embedded journalist or an embedded photographer. In this case, we're sketch artists and photographers that are experiencing it and then drawing it while we're seeing it and then also painting images or sculpting from those experiences. But it is what it is. Like you say, we are simply doing this. We're telling the truth as we see it. That is as we see it, of course. There is a difference. We're not just a, just a camera. We're not just a machine that is totally unfiltered. We have our background, our cultural upbringing, all these things that do no, influence our, our own personal biases, which everybody has. Um, and in some ways, when we're covering something, for example, the philosophy has been send out several artists if you can, because they each have a unique outlook, not only artistically, but culturally or whatever. We have, we want to get as, as, as um, not universal, but well-rounded 360 degrees of a viewpoint of something and so uh, sending out more than one artist is always better um, because then you're going to get a better you're going to get different styles different methods different outlook different composition everything and from sometimes from even the same event and uh, it gives uh, it adds color no pun intended to the scene all right, we're already on with the artist puns. Here we Sorry. go. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a dad also, so oh, I gosh. love dad jokes Combo. constantly. So your technical title here is Artist in Residence. Yes, I'm Artist and, in Residence. And so before, um, I, I had talked to Ben, which was on a previous episode, and he mentioned that I, I should yes. talk to you guys. And I had, I had never even heard of that before, honestly. I never really connected, you know, any branch of our military with art. So what exactly is the artist in residence, and is it only a Marines thing? Well, actually, it is not only a Marines thing, although there's only been one before myself. I am the Marine Corps artist in residence, um, although I am the museum's artist in residence, too. It's like a double. Uh, but officially, I'm the Marine Corps artist in residence, and we, there is an Army artist in residence. Kurt Loder, great guy. We actually may be taking a trip soon overseas oh, wow. uh, to sketch uh, training uh, Marines and Army uh, people as they train locals. So we're hoping uh, to do a, a joint venture with the art programs. But it's not a big pond. So in the military, you have maybe 20 so individuals that are, done, that are doing it. So the Army has an artist in residence. And they have illustrators and different things, too. There are certain. But as far as combat artists in, in, uh, specifically, the Army has an artist in residence. The Navy has two artists that are civilian and I th there is a third that is a reserve officer I think she's still working so they have three that they use the Marine Corps we have me and we have I have at least a dozen un uh, mostly civilian artists or former marine artists um, and a couple uniformed artists but it's not a big community the Coast Guard has several artists the Air Force has several reserve artists that are working some a couple of them full-time I think but they also rely on, the Air Force relies on illustrators traditionally, but it's just not a big community. So a lot of people just don't know. Yeah. And so uh, what, they just, they, they gather you guys up and they say, hey, we have this 
this fight going on in this area, will you fly out there and draw it for us? Is that how that works? Uh, in, a, in a sense, yes. Now, it, is, it, is, uh, it varies per fight and per instance. For example, sometimes we're proactively seeking training events and or deployments overseas. We are seeking it out where we're, we're training. Sometimes we ha are ready for it when it happens. Other times we're asking around, does anybody know of anything that's going on? We'll call units. We'll, we'll even advertise for artists and such in various military-related magazines. If we hear about something, we call and say, is there a way to get out there? It's not always easy, and it's sometimes the inertia is sort of against it just from logistics, um, just the difficulty of getting an artist there. The best is when we have somebody that's on active duty or who can TAD, who is, is there already, is spun up, as they say, and can go. Um, and even then, it's kind of a process to get orders for that person to go. We also have taken work, however, from people who have gone on their own dime and said, oh, I did this when I was so in such and such a place, and, and if it's good work, it, it may be accessioned. And so you guys create the artwork, and then is it mostly for display here at the museum? Or like, what is the purpose of, I mean, you've uh, talked a little bit about it earlier, how you're trying to bridge these gaps, but what is the purpose of an artist in residence? So my, my, my purpose is, uh, actually is two or three fold purpose. I have the creation of artwork, for the Marine Corps. That includes a whole series of historical illustrations going from post-Vietnam all the way up through current global war on terror contemporary. Because Colonel Waterhouse, he was the artist in residence uh, until the 90s and kept working all the way up until his death in 2013, I believe it was. Um, and we have a, a huge amount of his work's wonderful pieces and some of it from his later years that, he, that was accessioned after his death. But so my job is to do the, the artwork, create the artwork, but also manage the program. So I'm now in charge of the program. So what that entails is recruitment, training, mentoring, and sending. A fellow artist. A fellow artist, yes. And so, um, so I'm the one now that's trying to look. And I'm, I'm, my ears are open. And of course, a lot of the artists are already proactive. I have a great set of artists that are already, especially uh, Captain Bauman and uh, Richard Johnson and uh, Victor Juhas and several uh, of our civilian artists who are always looking always looking they're just that's kind of in their nature I think CJ is the one that said combat art hinges on a bias for action so it's kind of like being proactive you know they always talk about that it's it, it does help <laughs> um, so we're always keeping our ears open but my job is to facilitate that as best I can so it's art creation and art program management the artwork itself we're in the production side of that right so we are the ones that are finding ways to get it done uh, the curators will say, hey, um, uh, we need this perhaps, right? So they'll say, um, we need some artillery images. We're kind of lacking that from the collection from current day. Okay. So I went to Afghanistan years ago in 2009 as a combat artist, and that was one of the things they said. And so I hung out for a couple days or a week or whatever at the, in the artillery firebase and uh, sketched and took photographs, and I did some paintings based on that. And, and recently we sent people to 29 Palms to cover some of that as well. So there may be a subject-specific request from the curators or from the Marine Corps, depending. But most of the time, believe it or not, the Marine Corps does not dictate what we do. It's kind of artistic freedom. It, yeah, which is fascinating, right? And this is another uh, sort of cultural um, common ground we have with the art world and the, and the, the academic world. Uh, sometimes, for example, you may tell a Marine, oh, um, no, we, we go, the, the, our tradition is to go to war and do art. That was our motto. That is still our, our, our motto, our, our mission statement. 
go to war, do art. And I remember one time I was in, I think it was Iraq, I can't remember if it was Iraq or Afghanistan, and this young lieutenant was asking me a question, and I was an old retread sergeant, so I, I was 40 years old, 41 maybe even at the time, and this young lieutenant was asking me this question about, who tasks you, he says. Sergeant Battles, who tasks you to do this artwork, or these artworks, or specific artworks? And I said, well, sir, nobody tasks me specifically. And I just watched his face as he tried to get around that idea. <laughs> as a, his, his whole They're world used is to everything being yes. told what and to do. <laughs> to, to see this sort of artsy thing come in, right? This whole concept of, nope, we're sending the person. They're going to go. We trust them. They're going to do it. Exactly. Just go see and experience and record it faithfully and come back. And, and, and that's a great tradition to that. Like it stems, our program stems officially from 1942. But that was one of the, um, there's this great memo by George Biddle who was, um, he was on the War Department's art, I can't remember what the name of the board is, but he was in charge of all things art for the military. And he sent a memo out to them. And uh, you can get this online, I think if you go to pbs.org, actually, and there's this thing called um, They Drew Fire. It's a wonderful series, uh, and it's also got a website to it. But it, you'll see the memos that were sent, and, and it talks about, you may, you may have uh, Blake's mysticism or uh, Delacroix's romanticism or all these things that it says, but ultimately follow your own individual star or whatever. So I always laugh at that because that is so un not unmilitary, but what we think of the military. That is yes, definitely, wow, they're actually telling them to go do this really nebulous, artsy thing. And it, But it says, we believe that you're bringing back something of great value to our country. And General Denig, who was the founder of the Division of Public Relations, who created the combat art program, he had correspondents, photographers, and artists, and they were called Denig's Demons, and the whole mission was to show the country what our people overseas were, were doing. So, and he said, this is a people's war. They have a right to know. They have a need to know what's going on. And so that was the whole purpose. So we fell under the public relations branch and the whole mission being go and discover and tell, bring back, right? And they didn't want to, and it's even in the memo from George Biddle, all the artists were told, omit nothing, okay? Show what you can, um, and it talked about um, the ravages of war, and you know, showing battle scenes or treating of the wounded and dying. All these great and terrible aspects of war. The whole purpose being this needs to be recorded, mm -hmm. and so we have as our first mission really to be truthful to what we see and truthful to we are. We are historians in a way. We're visual historians, so we're painting for not only contemporary America today and to show our, the people what their sons and daughters are doing overseas. But we're also painting for posterity so that our grandchildren can say, oh, what, what did grandpa do or grandma? Where were they? Oh, wow, look, and, 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 or, or writers and historians can look back and use the work we do as helping them tell the story of what happened. Just Share out of curiosity, when you when you're out there doing it, I'm wondering are the are the Marines that are there like, oh, are you, do you want to paint me? Like, do they well, <laughs> love being objects in the paintings? Uh, yes, they uh, obviously in they certain joke. circumstances. Well, th and this is so we have a so we have a historical uh, mission. Our, our primary role, of course, is to document what we see visually with tr traditional art media, and that includes people. Of course, we prefer actually showing people over gear or equipment 
but one of the one of the side effects or that is byproducts. a great byproducts of that one of the byproducts of that is morale building or interpersonal benefit or even intercultural for example i was in afghanistan and sketching and these afghan army guys came up and i sketched their warrant officer and i didn't know what they were saying they didn't know what i was saying but we were like oh this is great. you know they liked it i liked it it was fun and yeah. you know so that's another bridge builder that's a cultural builder that can be that can cut through uh, tension or barriers. unknown barriers. barriers. Yeah, language barriers, cut through language barriers. So, but building morale, for example, um, and we talk about this all the time, one of the best things we feel uh, and most enriching things is when we go and we're sketching a young Marine or sailor, or of course, we're to sketch soldiers, but we're sketching a young Marine and that person, we're talking and we're sketching them and they're like away from home, um, they don't know what's going on, right? It's not always easy, but Uncle Sam has taken the time and the effort to send an artist. And a photographer is great, too. They love it when, they're, when you take their picture. But the idea that the artist is taking the time to know that person. Individually, in, in a, yeah, you're individually. important. Yeah, you're important. Isn't, absolutely. You're individually important to the Marine Corps. What you're doing is important. Even if you're a PFC and you're off in some place and you're burning the, the the fecal matter in the in latrines, or as I should say, the heads for the Marine Corps. Yeah, you're important, and your your job matters. Your person matters, and so, and they they love the fact that their eyes light up when that when you they realize that you might sketch them, and it might be in the collection. You say, so they say, where's this gonna go? And you say, oh, it's gonna be in the Marine Corps art collection. And they're like, what? Okay, and then suddenly they'll you know, and some some commands don't really get it. Most do, of course, but every once in a while you'll get. A sergeant major, he doesn't. He may or may not value it, right? But the kids, you know, the young Marines, or even some wiser, shall we say, uh, sergeant major, may suddenly realize this light goes on. Oh, this is a great thing, and and some commanding officers realize this is a great thing. This is a great morale building thing. This also is great because my unit will be shown. Like this is another thing. So a commanding officer will be like, so now they'll actually ask if we have if they have an artist that they can send because they realize, oh, our story is going to be told and it's going to be in an art. This art will be made. There's something very good about that too. So for what we're going to be doing today, we have I think two of your art pieces that you've done, and we kind of want to. I personally really want to talk about what that process looks like for you because I am by no means an artist. I can right. like craft, but uh, I'm not an artist. And also I'm very unfamiliar with what that situation would even look like. Yeah. And then the stories behind what you're actually painting. So what's the first one that you have? Okay, so the, the, the first one that I point to usually, one of the favorite paintings I've ever done uh, is a scene, it's called A Little Light Reading. And it was in November of 2006, and I was out at a forward operating base or a patrol base, and it was on what we called Route Michigan, which was the main artery of traffic between Baghdad out west to the Helmand province. I, I assume that it went out towards Syria. I can't remember if it went to Alkheim or wherever, but it goes out west anyway, and it's a big major traffic hub. But they have they had FOBs, we called them, forward operating bases, forward operating bases along this road and one of them several of them were named after football teams patrol base Steelers uh, patrol base uh, Broncos and that sort of thing anyway so this unit was out in this little patrol base and we're talking 
100 yards long by how many ever dozen yards, whatever wide. It was a small fob, not much bigger than uh, this hallway that we're in. I wish the people could see. Uh, and it was surrounded by what we called HESCO barriers, which are these big metal grated boxes with canvas in them. And inside that canvas, in that rigid metal structure, they pour dirt and debris. And so it's like a big sandbag. But it's a, it makes a wall, like you can stack them and make a wall. So it's, it's a little fort, you know, like a Fort Apache out in on this little road. And it, meant, it was meant to control traffic and keep a watch on things as things were going. And so we went out on a patrol from this, uh, several patrols I was able to go out with. But there was a time when I was in this little chow hall, but it was a little um, shipping container that they'd turned into a little dinky little chow hall thing where they had little food laying out. So I'm done with my chow, I come out, and I see these Marines around this little ammo can. They're seated, they're standing, they're talking, they're keeping warm by the fire in this little ammo can. Because it's cold in the mornings in November in Iraq, people don't realize that at, at nighttime it gets really cold. In the wintertime, it's actually cold. And so they're keeping warm and they're chatting. Uh, and I see the light coming down through the, the cami netting, I see the shadows, I see everything, and I, this is the perfect composition, oh my goodness. I get my camera, I start taking photographs, I sketch these gentlemen as they were chatting. So I've got some good sketches from this. I had some great photographs, and so I did this big painting. Maybe it's six or seven feet wide, and it's four or five feet tall. Um, and it was, uh, it was just fun to paint. It was, it was the image itself, the narrative is great. It's, uh, it's a slice of life. Uh, people who have ever been to a fob can say, that's exactly what, we, you know, or it was just like that where I was, and that sort of thing. So it is, um, it's not about combat necessarily, because you don't see that all the weapons are stacked on the side and the body armor, and they're just chatting. But it's, uh, most of what people do overseas isn't combat. So that story has to be told as well. So it's still been one of my favorite paintings to this day. So your process, it sounds like, you take some pictures, you do some sketches, mm -hmm. and then later on, when you're back in the studio, you can create the painting used yeah. from those items. Exactly. So when we're, when we're on a deployment and we're in the field, we're kind of like an embedded sketch artist or embedded journalist and an embedded photographer. So we are with a unit and we're in the marching order. Uh, you got to make sure, especially as a Marine combat artist, that you are trained enough. We went around in full gear with even weapons on as well. We were first of all Marines and secondly artists. But you had all your Marine Corps gear on. You had your body armor and your helmet and all this stuff. You had your pack and your water and your ammunition and your food, but then also you had your art gear and your camera and that sort of thing. So you're like weighted down with <laughs> stuff walking along. But you're trying to make yourself not only inconspicuous as possible, but not a burden on the patrol that you're with, right? So you have to be, they have to know that you can hand, that you can pack it, that you can, you can hack it, that you can. Well, and so, they have to be comfortable around you so you yes, can get those moments. Absolutely. And that's, that's another thing, the unguarded moments, the, 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 when you're back in the fob, they can't be always, oh, I've got to portray myself as a certain thing for the camera or for the sketchbook, right? So yeah, you have to, you have to uh, be one of them. And, and so, and I always joke about it, it's like when you're Jane Goodall, and you're out, and the gorillas are out there, and you kind of got to sl slowly make them think that you're one of them. Integrate. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, they, they let you be part of their pack, right? And that's the way it is with infantry or any unit. So they kind of got to finally accept you into their into their group. Um, but when you're on a patrol, you really have to be your head on a swivel, and you're walking around, and you're taking photographs, and so you're like a combat cameraman, camera person, and you're shooting photographs, but you're sketching whenever you can. One of my other favorite 
images, actually there are several, um, they, they were sketches that happened on the scene. So one of my favorites is of this forward uh, observer who is, uh, he's calling on the radio. And so I'm sketching, we were on this rooftop of this house out on patrol and they were calling in an airstrike on an insurgent house about a two or three, um, maybe, maybe it's closer to a thousand meters away, I can't remember. Far enough away that we're not going to get hurt by this thing. So we're watching and waiting, and, and as the ordnance, you couldn't see the jets, they were too high up, and they were, they were counting down when it was going to happen. And suddenly, right at the end of the countdown, you hear this whoosh, bang, huge, and the ground thunders even at that distance, and, and the rubble. And basically, it was reduced pretty quickly to, to nothing, to rocks, and, um, and we went and saw what, uh, the aftermath. But while we were on the rooftop, it was safer. I, could, I didn't have to take photographs and always be, so I was able to watch and take time and sketch them as it, as it uh, happened. And it, it wasn't obviously uh, laid back, you know, so you're still in the scene and you're, you're having to go very fast. Uh, but th those, that sketch uh, is a very valuable one to me because it, it was on location, on a patrol, it wasn't done back in the studio. It was, it's you know smudged and it's it was in my sketchbook. It's probably got sweat on it. You know, it's a little grimy, but it's uh, it's it's happened on scene, so it's something I value. But you also are not only sketching but taking photographs everywhere you're going because, like I said, you're not going to be able to tell everyone, hey, hey, Staff Sergeant, can you stop this? Uh, Patrol, this is too good of sunlight. I got to get a picture of this. You just can't do that, right? Or can we turn around? The sun is just not right at this angle. Can yeah, we, your you shadows are all wrong. Right? <laughs> you just can't do that. So you're basically just recording as much as you can. And I even have, I kept a journal, uh, a sketchbook, and sometimes even audio recordings of different things. And you're, so in your journal, you're jotting down. And even on your sketchbook, you may jot down visual notes, color, or of course, who the person is if you're drawing a person, uh, what their name is, what their rank is, what they were doing, and you're keeping captions uh, for the curators too, because you know they might have this drawing or this. It may be good for your if you do a painting on the scene to have the caption information already ready. So yeah, you're you're gathering that information with your sketching and your photographing and your journaling, and then you come back home, and then you go to the studio, and you go through all your stuff and you think what really struck me what. Not only just what do we need for the collection, but really where is my heart on this? Which one really has me still going? And you do that work, uh, and it can be paintings, it can be other drawings, it can be uh, it can be sculpture. But then all that fine art, so to speak, that gallery type art is done, and it can be used by not only the collection uh, in the museum, it can be used by authors who can call in and say, do you have anything on the Iraq war from such and such a time? And the images can be made available for publication. Um, some of the work travels in a traveling exhibit that we have. We have other work that uh, we sometimes have in shows in various museums. Um, I was very fortunate to have some of my work on aviation in the 100 Years of Marine Corps Aviation show that was at the Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum. Oh, DC. that's that awesome. Was really great. <laughs> oh my goodness. They even had some of my little sketch my sketchbook and watercolors in a little vitrine uh, plexiglass box with my name. And luckily it didn't have an end date. It said 1968 to blank. I felt like a dead person seeing this, <laughs> almost like artifacts of my work, right? Yeah. This is the sketchbook that he used. Oh, great. And it was, but it was wonderful to be there, obviously, because that museum is, as a child, of course, that, you know, that aviation and, and all that, space race, it was just, I loved being in that museum.
For for a little light reading, I'm curious how you how did you come up with that title? Because you said well, that they're oh, around. I should, a I should explain. They're around. They're around uh, this this keeping warm, but they're also reading. So like, there's this little there's a little mail bo- uh, box of mail that's open. You can see in the scene. So there's all these little sort of telltale things. There's a coffee cup, a little paper Dixie cup with coffee in it. There's a mail uh, a box that mail delivering it from them, somebody's mother or whatever. Or in this case, it was an organization that sent them a bunch of books. So they're reading, they're talking, there's a newspaper, one of the figures in it is reading the Marine Times, uh, one of the figures is reading a, 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 like a Louis L'Amour novel kind of thing, um, but you can't really see the details on that, but you can see the Marine Times, oh, uh, another's reading Maxim, I don't know if you're familiar with Maxim, <laughs> but uh, you know, Marines will, you know, look, and so they're reading and they're chatting, so it's a little light reading, that's what I call it. That's really clever, I like it. But I'm wanting to move on to your next yes. piece of artwork. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that one. Well, I think, I, is it possible to use the sketches? Oh, yeah, you can, whichever re- ones you okay, want. So I want to talk about one of the th- pieces of artwork that I really love is actually a series of drawings, too. So I was sketching in Camp Fallujah. This is just after I arrived, I think, in uh, maybe October of 2006. And I'm sketching at, on, on the base, Camp Fallujah, and I'm near Fallujah Surgical. And I'm sketching the tent. It looks like MASH from this television show in a sense. There's these tents and stuff. So I'm sketching that. Suddenly they bring in this ambulance, which is a Humvee and whatever, but they bring in a wounded Marine. And so I was, oh, okay. And so I walked down and asked, hey, can I, can, I, can I go in as they do the surgery? They didn't let me take my camera in, which is understandable, but they didn't mind me sketching. So this is another issue we talk about, how sometimes an artist with an old-school a traditional means of, of depiction, portrayal, can get access to places where cameras may not be allowed. I have a series of sketches which are kind of crude as far as technique. They're not perfect. Some of them are unfinished, but there's like six drawings where this young Marine was told he had been wounded, uh, he'd been shot uh, by a sniper, and his it hit his body armor and his K-bar knife bounced off and hit his hand and it almost severed his thumb from his hand. And so they, the first sketches of them consulting with him on what they were going to do, they said, well, we might be able to save. We're going to try to save your thumb, but if we can't, we have permission to use your big toe. And can we do that? And so he, and so he actually literally signed off. They had this little set of photographs of things that they could do. And he, so, But that's pre-surgery. Then the next shows him being prepped for surgery, and he's on this gurney, and they're setting up his arm to um, stretching it out on this thing to... to to um, prep it for surgery. There's a couple drawings like that. Then there's the actual drawing of the surgery. And so that was just something that I really professionally enjoyed because of the fact that it was, as it was happening, an old-fashioned reportage drawing event where you're recording something you could not record in other other methods, but is, is immediate. And sketches have that sort of immediacy, which is always valuable. That set of drawings is... Uh, still to this day, very valuable to me. Do you know what happened to his thumb? Uh, they did save his thumb. That's great. <laughs> I, should have, I should have made sure I said that. Yeah, no, they saved his thumb. Now, I hope it's still working today, but they did. They rescued it during that surgery. So that's a good thing. It's kind of neat. That's really cool. I like that you're able to do different mediums as well. Like, I mean, you have the painting that we've talked about, and then you have the sketches that we've also talked about. We like to have people who are trained at least somewhat expert um, 
or at least show aptitude in, in at least one or two traditional art media, it's very difficult to find the two sort of personas or, or, or types of person that have to do this job. You have to have a person who is physically fit enough or trained enough or are uniformed. They have to be able to do and go deploy and do these things, right? And you also have to have a person who is technically capable, talent-wise and outlook-wise and all those things of the art personality. You have the art side and the Marine Corps side, and they have to be able to act together, and it's hard to find that person. Y'all are a rare breed. It's very rare, <laughs> and that's why it's such a small community. But yeah, we, we are a renaissance type of organization as well because we like to have well-rounded individuals that are good at sketching and can paint, and preferably sculpt too. Not everyone can sculpt, but... but uh, at least a very good sketch artist. That's if you if you can't really paint, you haven't painted a lot. Okay, that's fine. If you can sketch really well, we'll take you. That's for sure because that's really some of the most vital images we have are the sketchbook images. Mm -hmm. uh, so we really value that. But if we can get a good painting out of you too, that's good even too. better. Even better. And so if people do come to the museum and they want to see kind of the artwork that is here, you have an entire combat gallery. Oh yes, we have our combat art gallery, and so uh, we rotate out about every 18 months or so. Uh, currently, there's this wonderful uh, exhibit by Colonel Charles Waterhouse, whom I mentioned earlier, the first artist in residence, and it is all of the Medal of Honors, or at least 80 or so, or is there 100 in there? How many paintings are in there? Anyway, many paintings of uh, Marines and sailors who won or received the Medal of Honor. And so he's got each, each setup is a painting that has the narrative of the scene, where they, where they did this exploit, and then to the right of it or next to it is a sort of vignette portrait, roughly done, some of them unfinished even, that shows the individual. And then next to that is text from the actual um, citation, the official citation in which they were awarded the Medal of Honor, and so you can, you can learn about how, how they got what they got. And some of them posthumously, some of them live to wear it, etc. But it's a wonderful combination. And there's even a book that's been published by his daughter uh, that has all this work in it. Um, and so that's what's currently in the gallery. So I wanted to quickly share with you guys two of the paintings and the individuals who received Medals of Honor. When I walked through the gallery, I mean, it's pretty powerful and it's a really strong message and the, his artwork is absolutely stunning. Um, I will say that some of the wording is kind of hard to, to hear. I mean, these were active battles and this is war. This is what really happened. So I'm going to give you kind of a description of what the, the painting was. And then I'm going to read the citation that was the actual citation for the Medal of Honor recipient and then a description of what he did, his act of valor to be awarded the, the Medal of Honor. So the first painting is this incredible view of a man standing and at his feet is another man lying down who's obviously in distress. On one hand, he has a fluid bag that is connected to his patient on the ground and in the other hand is a gun that he's firing. And this is Hospital Apprentice First Class Robert E. Bush. And the citation reads, For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty, while serving as medical corpsman with rifle company in action against enemy Japanese forces on Okinawa Jima, Ryukyu Islands, 2nd May 1945. Fearlessly braving the fury of artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire from strongly entrenched hostile positions, 
Bush constantly and unhesitatingly moved from one casualty to another to attend the wounded falling under the enemy's murderous barrages. As the attack passed over a ridgetop, Bush was advancing to administer blood plasma to a Marine officer lying wounded on the skyline when the Japanese launched a savage counterattack. In this perilously exposed position, he resolutely maintained the flow of life-giving plasma. With the bottle held high in one hand, Bush drew his pistol with the other and fired into the enemy's ranks until his ammunition was expended. Quickly seizing a discarded carbine, he trained his fire on the Japanese charging point-blank over the hill, accounting for six of the enemy despite his own serious wounds and the loss of one eye suffered during his desperate battle in defense of the helpless man. With the hostile force finally routed, he calmly disregarded his own critical condition to complete his mission, valiantly refusing medical treatment for himself until his officer patient had been evacuated and collapsing only after attempting to walk to the battle aid station. His daring initiative, great personal valor, and heroic spirit of self-sacrifice in service of others reflect great credit upon Bush and enhance the finest traditions of the U.S. Naval Service. So the next painting is this fiery red landscape where there's just a single man standing, everything else is ablaze, and he's holding a flamethrower. And this is Corporal Herschel Williams, and the citation for his Medal of Honor reads, For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty, as demolition sergeant serving with the 21st Marines 3rd Marine Division in action against enemy Japanese forces on Iwo Jima, Volcano Islands, 23 February 1945. Quick to volunteer his service, when our tanks were maneuvering vainly to open a lane for the infantry through the network of reinforced concrete pillboxes, buried mines, and black volcanic sands, Corporal Williams daringly went forward alone to attempt the reduction of devastating machine gun fire from the unyielding positions. Covered only by four riflemen, he fought desperately for four hours under terrific enemy small arms fire and repeatedly returned to his own lines to prepare demolition charges and obtain serviced flamethrowers, struggling back frequently to the rear of the hostile encampments to wipe out one position after another. On one occasion, he daringly mounted a pillbox to insert the nozzle of his flamethrower through the air vent, killing the occupants and silencing the gun. On another, he grimly charged enemy riflemen, who attempted to stop him with bayonets and destroyed them with a burst of flame from his weapon. His unyielding determination and extraordinary heroism in the face of ruthless enemy resistance were directly instrumental in neutralizing one of the most fanatically defended Japanese strongpoints encountered by his regiment, and aided vitally in enabling his company to reach its objective. Corporal Williams's aggressive fighting spirit and valiant devotion to the duty throughout, throughout this fiercely contested action sustain and enhance the highest traditions of the U.S. Naval Service. Okay, back to my interview with Chris. Soon we will have Mary White in the gallery in November of 2021, and she will have uh, an exhibit called We the People, in which there are 50 portraits of veterans of various, uh, all the branches, and she traveled around to all 50 states and had one veteran that she chose out of every state to interview, to talk with, to take time, to do their portrait. So there's these wonderful big watercolor portraits of each of these individuals. It's going to be great. So that's in the sh in the gallery from November until sometime in 2022, perhaps. And there's also kind of an external gallery that is like a more of a rotating gallery. Yes, and so right outside the art gallery itself, there is a hallway in which we have on the bulkhead, I should say, of the Marine Corps Museum, because we have to call it the naval term, uh, you have a set of paintings and drawings uh, in our recent acquisitions wall is what we call it. And so that rotates out more, more often. 
so whenever we get a, a bunch of nice works, we put that on the wall. Well, before we entirely wrap up, there was one little story that I wanted to uh, talk about. You, you spoke with me about it a little bit earlier, and it reminded me a lot of the very first episode I ever did with uh, the Patuxent River Naval Air Museum. Oh. And they had a moon rock sample, and we talked a lot about how NASA handles those moon rock specimens and how sometimes they disappear, go on a black market, and like this whole thing. So you guys <laughs> yes. actually have oh, situations oh, yes. like that with paintings. And so, okay, and, and when I talked about how we had to have rules about certain images on loan to various DOD, Department of Defense offices, whether they're in the Pentagon or at bases, etc. When some of them would be, unfortunately, I hate to use the word stolen, but They'd they sort misplaced. of walk, yes, misplaced. Yes. Perhaps I should say misappropriated. <laughs> anyway, so we've had several, we have a list of paintings where we are looking for them still. So. But every once in a while, whether it's on an auction or on eBay, they'll show up and somebody will say, oh, wait a second, isn't that that piece you're looking for? And some curator or someone who knows will say, hey, I saw this on eBay or hey, I saw this in this auction house. And we've literally actually had legal people say, um, that's property of the U.S. government. Sorry. Sorry you we just bought that, that, but we yeah, need it back. <laughs> it's really ours. We're sorry if this came into your possession but it wasn't meant to be, it left the office at so-and-so. We, we have records of all the, where these things were, at what time, and when they went missing. And there's not a lot of them, but it had happened, and it happens a lot less frequently now. But uh, they'll turn up, oh. and we go quickly to get them as quick as we can. So not only did I not know about an artist in residence, but also apparently there is a black market, in <laughs> quotes, about the artwork. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, just we're, we're, um, we're sort of proud to be... Um, still working doing this what we consider to be a wonderful legacy billet a legacy job we think it's a very important program because we we do create things that are of value not only visually and and message wise they're they're of value to the telling the story of our nation and our military and our marine corps but we do actually create objects of value that can be valued not only for what their story is but what they are physically as an artwork as an artifact as a piece of know storytelling and so so we're kind of like the fewer the prouder the combat artists you guys should get that on t-shirts yeah we, we should do the logo with <laughs> well thank you so much for no being problem. a part Very of my happy. podcast and for sharing with us this really unique side of the american military that i had no idea about happy to be here